Hey everyone, David Bowden here. Before we start the show, we have a special announcement from the team here at Spoken Gospel. As we approach our summer film block, we're filming our final introductions for our whole project on the Bible, including books of the Bible like the book of Revelation and Chronicles, and it's going to be an amazing time. And we are almost finished funding our need for this film block, and we have about $30,000 left to cross the finish line. And we are asking you, our podcast listeners, to help make this possible. So please consider supporting our mission by visiting the Spoken Gospel website, clicking on donate and contributing what you can. Whether you choose to donate once or monthly, we're so grateful for your support. Okay, now on with the show. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to the idea that every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Every episode, hosts David Bowden and Seth Stewart work through a biblical text to see how it helps us see and savor Jesus. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Welcome. This is episode three. Side B. Side B. Uh, B sides. B sides. Yeah. This is so. This is the other uh, side of the record. We're gonna do chapters four through eight of Esther. This is our third episode in Esther, and um, there's two kinds of stories swirling around in these chapters. One is the thread of the tension between Mordecai and Haman, and we talked about that last week. And now we're gonna yeah. talk about what, for a lot of people, is the paradigmatic moment of the book which is Queen Esther going to the king, if I perish, I perish, laying her life down on the line to save the day for the Jews. Yeah. And it, it is a climactic, important point of the book. Big time. She is the messianic figure yes. as she goes into the king's presence on behalf of her people. Like That yeah. is true. We'll and talk we'll, about we'll that. We'll talk all about that, yeah. Uh, but we, mm. it's more complicated than that. It is. A lot's going on. So to rewind the story... Yes. We're at Esther. The edict. Let's start with the edict. So the, the, the big edict has gone out that all people are going, all Jewish people, all of God's people scattered around the Persian Empire are going to die on a certain day. Yes, the 13th of Adar. The 13th of Adar. Oh, we Is should talk like, about why it's on that date. Oh, so okay. Haman, it's, it's like the function of the book. Like So Haman consults a pair of dice. Oh, right. To uh, determine which day he should kill yep. all the Jews on. Cast and lots. He casts lots and he casts lots and he casts lots. Um, and the lots in Hebrew are called pur. Pur. Yep. And the, the dice land on the 13th of Adar. And I don't mm-hmm. quite know what cast lots means on that. My guess is like whichever month I roll double sixes on, yeah, that's sure. the month. And then whatever day I roll double sixes on, that's, that's the, the day. day. That's kind of the way that I thought yeah, about sure. it. Yeah, that's sure. That's a fine way to think about um, it. Yeah. And so he cast these lots and coincidentally by God's sovereign plan or yeah. is it by chance? It uh, ends uh, up being on the 13th of Adar and in the end of the book, the feast that they inaugurate is called Pur the festival of the dice. Yep. Ironically, the way that Haman planned for Israel's destruction with a pair of dice is actually, ironically, the way, the day that they will celebrate their mm. salvation. So yeah. there's that. Another irony. Another irony. So he makes this decree. All the Jews will be decreed yes. to kill on the 13th of And so Mordecai hears about this plot and he calls his now niece, 
mm-hmm. uh, Esther, who's the queen now, yeah. to use her new, really non-existent power to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And he says, you need to go into the king's um, court, his inner court, and plead with him to overturn this edict. Yes. And she points out something to Mordecai uh, that is just this reality about this twisted, wicked king that if anyone goes into the king's inner court without being invited, unless he holds out his golden scepter to them, they're killed. And think about that as his wife. Yeah. As his queen. Yeah. She has no right, even as queen. She hasn't seen him in 30 days. She has no right to see him. Again, like the empire is cruel towards not just women, but like people in power are absolutely wicked yes. and like obsessed with their own control, self-important, indulgent. Like yep. that's, or it's another glimpse into like the horror behind the empire. Right. Um, so she says this to Mordecai. Yes. I can't go. Yep. And, and Mordecai's response is like, look, girl. <laughs> like, uh, he's like, you're going to die either way. He says, it's really important. So, and then they told... Mordecai, what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. This is all happening. All happening through a game of telephone. Yeah, yeah. But do not think of yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all of the other Jews. Mm. Which is fascinating because like Mordecai is a king's guard. Yep. Knows the government well enough to know that even the queen, supposedly have the most power of protection, will be killed by this edict yep. in order for the king to save face. Like this, he this, won't, yeah, this edict must be so wide-sweeping and the king must be so capricious and prideful right. that this edict will even come close to home. Yes. And then he says this. Um, you'll, so you'll, you're going to die by this edict. And if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So many things here. So many things Goodness here. Goodness gracious. Um, so okay. one, the brutality yeah. of the kingdom, not even the queen is safe. Right. She'll be killed on the altar of the king's pride. Yeah. And like, and something to stop there and notice um, is that there is this symbol that's being played with here that the, the king is in this inner court in his tabernacle. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mordecai, who's kind of like a, con- a contemporary pagan Levite, in a yeah. sense, is on the outer court as its guard. So this is like a yeah. new manifestation of the tabernacle of God. A false tabernacle. A fa- false tabernacle of yeah. God. But in the same way, if like in Leviticus and Numbers, we hear about if you come into the Lord's presence without being invited, you know, without yeah. being it done in the right way, without the right garb on and after right. the right sacrifice, you will die. Yeah. And so the same thing is true of this king's inner court. And so the people of Israel... You know, you know, like, like, yeah, yeah. like God. represented yeah, by yeah. Yeah, Mordecai and Esther are looking for someone to go into the king's holy of holies, yeah, and represent them at the cost of their life. Yes, that's what they're looking for. So, yes, like our gospel radar should just be pinging right, right, like right, right. crazy. So that's yes. that's the first thing. So that's the first thing. What's and, the second one? And then he says, if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place which is such an interesting statement. Such a vague statement. Mm. Never mentions God. Right. It doesn't mention the promises of Genesis 3.15. Yep. But I think that's exactly what Mordecai is doing. Mm. Mordecai knows he's locked in 
an eternal battle. Yeah. He knows he's fighting against the seed of Agag. Which is why he didn't bow. The seed of the serpent, which is why he didn't bow. Right. And he knows that, that his Haman's overreaction to it is part of the divine, about the demonic conspiracy against God's people that has been happening since the foundation of the world. Mm-hmm. And he knows the promise of Genesis 3.15, that there is one coming yep. who will crush the head of the serpent. Right. So when he says, who knows, yeah. del- deliverance and relief will rise from another place, I think he's preaching the gospel to Esther. He definitely is preaching the gospel he's to Esther. He's saying like, there is one coming who will crush the seed of the serpent. Right. There is somebody coming who's gonna crush the empire, right. But for now, yeah, it could be you. It could be you. Yeah, and, and it's just very interesting that uh, what I love about this, especially since Esther, the book of Esther, is so much about the sovereignty of God working yeah. behind the scenes. And Mordecai shows real faith here to say, even if you let all the people of Israel die, yeah. you know, in a sense by not doing your duty here, right? God's going to do something. It's going to salvation will come from another place because God will not abandon His people. Yes, De- a deliverer will come. Right. Even if it's not you. And yes. so like God, he, Mordecai is showing that he knows that God's plans mm-hmm. are not dependent upon our inability to carry them out. Yes. Like, and at the same time. He works time, alongside them. Which is exactly his next statement. Exactly his point. Exactly his next statement. Yes. But who knows? But who knows? It could be you. <laughs> Maybe you were born yeah. for a time as this. Maybe God has orchestrated history. Yes. Maybe God is about to redeem this time of sex trafficking and political entanglement yeah. and like horrible situation you've been in. Fear for your life whenever you would go near this man who is now your supposed husband. Maybe he's yeah. going to redeem this whole situation of us in Persia to overturn something and do something amazing. Maybe, maybe God's going to deliver his people. Maybe this will be us crushing the head of the serpent. Yes. Maybe this is the time. Like, yes, who knows? Like, that's it's so amazing. It's, and like, I don't want to get like crazy here. Don't get crazy. But but no. it is. I, I think that the Bible for a lot of people comes off as a very misogynistic book. Yeah. But the fact that a man in this time period would say that maybe the deliverer of all of God's people that has yes. been promised since Genesis three, it could be you, Esther. Right. It's like, whoa, like, yeah, what a what a statement. Such a statement. And remember, God made the promise that the serpent crusher would come from, from Eve, from a woman. So now we have another woman. Another woman. Yeah. We have a woman here who's in this position of power to represent God's people, right. to save her people. And even Jesus' birth comes at the cost of a woman. Yes. Like, you an know, obedient like, woman you know, who was scandalized and yes. could have lost her husband and could have been destitute and laid out. Like, yeah. Yeah, all the things that we want to say, all the moral ambiguities that was like see in Esther, like she maybe she wasn't faithful, maybe yeah. she wasn't a good Jewish girl, maybe should have laid her life down instead of right. maybe should have fought the king's harem it's involvement. Everything that Joseph thought about Mary, yeah, when Jesus, oh yeah, happens totally. in her womb, right? Like yeah. there is, she's a type of Mary. Mary. She's a type of Eve That's that we can see. Like God has used women throughout yep. redemption, has always used women to bring about our redemptive history. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she's like Tamar in this situation too. Yes. Because she is sexually scandalized in order to yeah. bring about the furtherance of God's promise through yeah. sex. Yeah. It's very scandalous. I don't remember where that is. In it's, it's, uh, it's Genesis, Genesis 30 or like, uh, it's the beginning of the story of Joseph. So like, go back podcast. Yeah. Go back, <laughs> back, 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 back to Genesis, out. the story of Joseph. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so Judas she's acting. That's a, it's a really, that's a really, really yeah. good point. So God's working behind the scenes, 
maybe he's orchestrated history for this woman. JL. Sorry, I'm just like, I'm thinking of like, of like women, God using women in sexually compromised situations to bring about salvation. JL in the book of Numbers, or or Judges, sorry. Judges does the same thing. Like she, yep. like the this 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 evil king who the people of God are trying to overthrow, and mm-hmm. they can't. He ends up being like brought into this woman's, uh, like going to this tent, and this woman comes and like stabs yep. him in the temple with yeah. a tent peg. Yep, and it's like she brings about salvation. She for brings God's about some people for, salvation for God's people. Even like there are a, types of Eve throughout the Samaritan, the Samaritan woman at the well. The Samaritan woman at the well, Se- a sexually yep. compromised woman who, who is up. the first evangelist of the good news oh, wow. to Samaria. Yeah, she brings the water of life to people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this is just, it is cool. I, I It is cool. Good. It's well pointed. Yes. That needs to be pointed out. That's cool. There's a reason why Esther is a great yeah. place to go for what is the Bible's theology about women. The, yeah. Th- yes. It's like women have always been and will always be a central part of the way that God makes his new creation in the world. Yes. Yeah. Even in Genesis, like man and woman together are multiplying, filling the earth, Mm co-creating the world. Yeah. Anyway, great point. Okay. Where do we go from here? Uh, (laughs) Who knows? Yeah. Oh, okay. So we had talked about the deliverer. Yeah. Uh, And then who knows if you've been raised up for such a time as this. So we got through Mordecai's little mini, very well said speech. Yes. Esther. Everything we just said is like, man, the Redeemer. The Redeemer's here. I'm here. She's here. She's here. And we often hear the next line. It's probably the most famous line in the book of Esther. Yep. One One of the most famous in the Bible. Probably. If I die, I die. If I perish, I perish. I perish, I perish. Yep. But oh, uh, <laughs> podcast listeners. So there's like a tense yep, in, in Hebrew. Hebrew that actually like communicates like resignation mm-hmm. um, and like hopelessness. And so it's not if I perish, I perish. It's when I perish, yep. I perish. When I die, I'm going to die. Yep. It, it seems like she's real because this echoes what Mordecai has said. Mordecai yeah. said, look, you can go into the king's palace and you can die. You know, or you can you can wait around in the in the king's palace and die yeah. when the edict comes in. Yes. You're gonna die one way or the other. You might as well do it for such a time as this. Yes. You know, you might as well lay it on the line and do it. So there is still, even in the resignation, yeah, there is still this like, all right, bring it on. Right. You know, so it's not it's, it's not all sad. No, it's still it still took a lot of bravery on her part. And super fascinating like a uh, literary piece of mm. information here. I think the term Queen Esther is used fourteen times uh-huh. uh in the book. And 13 of those times happen after this moment. Mm-hmm. So she's referred to as Queen Esther when she's coronated, but Esther for the rest of the time. And the rest of the book, she's referred to as Queen Esther after this decisive yep. moment. Mordecai preaches the gospel to her. Mm. She resigns herself to what that means, her death. Right. And when she sublimates her life for other people's life when she's willing to die for she's, other people she's seen as a queen she's royalty she's the queen if you want to lose if you want to save your life lose it yes yeah if you want to go high go low yes that's what, if you want to be a king be a servant and this is i mean yeah exactly yeah. right this is the teaching of jesus this is what jesus does as a servant of all mankind this is what he does on the cross he goes at the cost of his own life mm-hmm. and then he's resurrected as king above all things yep Esther yep. is that. And so Esther goes in, right? Yep. Esther goes in to the king's inner court. Yes. Tense moment. Is she going to die or not? And the king accepts her. And the king holds out the golden scepter yeah. and even extends to her this, what do you want? 
up to the half up to of the half my, my kingdom, kingdom, which is an idiom. He's just saying like wh- wh- uh, I, anything. Go well, crazy. I heard one wh- one person say it this way. It's like it's his queen. Yep. And he has a royal courtroom full of people that he wants to appear generous, magnanimous, powerful to. That's right. And so he is looking for an opportunity to prove his generosity mm. and his splendor. Say up to half my kingdom, my queen. Yeah. What do you want? It's it's hyperbolic. Yes, it is. But. but it's making him, it's forcing him to grant her request, whatever it ends up yeah. being. It goes back to the fact that he's a pushover. Yeah, it's ironic does, still. It's ironic. He's not really like thinking through his decision here. Yeah, because what's ironic is he's offering her up to half his kingdom, but ultimately the final um, deliverer of God's people will take over his whole kingdom. Yes. Like, you exactly know, right. that's just another that's exactly right. irony. So she invites him knowing her husband's uh, predilection for getting yeah, drunk at yeah. parties. She's like, I'm going to stage a bar crawl. <laughs> yeah. She sets up a feast and invites Haman and Xerxes specifically. Yes, which is perfect because Haman loves to get, or, or, or Xerxes loves to get drunk. Yeah. And Haman loves to be in the inner circle because yes. he wants to be celebrated. So he's like, it's the queen, the king, and me. Dope. Uh, like, yes, it's his celebrated, like yeah. his name as the celebrated one yeah. is like, it's coming true. That's right. And Esther throws this elaborate banquet um, and the king says it again. What my queen yeah. would you want up to half my kingdom? She's like, let's do this again. Just do it one more time and then I'll tell you. This is when Haman goes home, home. gets excited about everything with yep. his wife, but sees Mordecai who refuses to bow to him. Yep. And he wrecks the giant, the giant uh, tree yeah. and um, goes to the king's room where it just so happens and that he's, he's reading this book about Mordecai. And and he, yeah. yeah. It, yeah. And so, this is when we talked about that last episode. So go back and listen to yeah. all that. So then the next feast comes. Yes. And, and well, so but before yeah, yeah. that, we just make sure we, we say it again. He ends up, honoring Mordecai, yes. celebrating Mordecai and being celebrated himself. His wife prophesies, you will surely fall before this seed if he is from the Jews. That's right. The seed of the Jews, you will surely fall before him. And immediately in the text, the guards come to pick him up in that moment to the second feast. Yeah. Another feast happens just like the first one. He makes the same magnanimous gesture. Mm. What do you want, my queen? Up to half my kingdom. And this, and so what? Some one commentator said, like she's actually being pretty crafty yeah. here because, like, he now three times has promised half his kingdom, half his kingdom. So even if it's hyperbolic, mm. there's an expectation by anybody who would have watched it, yeah, but that he is obligated to do this. He's got to do it now, or he'll lose face, yeah. or he'll look like a idiot king, or yeah. like whatever it is. Like, smart move, Esther. Smart move on Esther's part. Yep. And she and, says, my people are going to be killed. Which, is that her coming out? Yeah, she, she that's right. That's her coming out yeah, as yeah, a Jew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is the my first time. My people. My people. Yeah. This is the first time she identifies herself as a Jew. Should that's we read interesting. That? Um, <clears throat> wow. Yeah. Um, my people. Yeah, because she was, she kept it quiet up until then, I think. Which is, it's also really interesting that if this is, if this is where she came out, that it happened right after the proclamation of the power of the seed of the Jews from yeah, yeah. Haman's wife. So do you have it? Yep. Okay. Verse 7, verse 4. For yeah. we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Mm. Now, King Xerxes probably doesn't remember this, but this is exactly the language of the edict that Haman made all the way back in Esther 3. To be killed, uh, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Mm-hmm. That was the edict. And so she's repeating it back to him. If you have been, uh, if we'd been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, which is like, 
fascinating. Yeah, that's fascinating. Been, I was like, I don't, yeah, I don't quite. Because she's like, I'm already a slave here, it feels like. Right. You know. Uh, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss of the king. Then King Ahasuerus mm. said to the Queen Esther, who is he and where is he who has dared to do this? <laughs> Which is an ironic thing to say. Yeah. Like, where is he? Show me where he is. Right. It's like whenever you're in the supermarket and you're like, I've been looking everywhere for the dish soap, you know, store clerk. Where's the dish yeah. soap? And it's like right next to you when you're asking them. Have yeah, you ever done that? I've done it's so that embarrassing. Many times. That's what's happening here. That's exactly what's happening. Here. And we should also notice, uh, I forget who pointed this out, but uh, up until about Esther chapter five, Multiple years are passing. Yes. Like, and then this and is just slowing down. Now so it's like, like one day is taking the majority over of Over the, the course of a couple of hours. And so like you're getting individual lines of dialogue. dialogue. Who did this? Who dared to do yeah. this? And then it shows a foe, an enemy, this wicked Haman. <laughs> it's so intense. <laughs> and Haman was terrified before the king and yeah. the queen. Um, the king goes out in a rage. Yep. I don't know why. I mean, he just goes out in a rage. Yep. Haman begs for mercy. He's probably embarrassed. Yeah, he is. He is chief po- political advisor. That he's allowed to just make decisions for him. Right. Blindly. Yeah. Is Literally now, blindly. Now has him in a bind where he has to affirm this thrice over promise he's made to his yeah, queen yeah. in front of everybody. But it's it's having to give up his right-hand man that he's trusted in front of everybody. Right. So, so he's like ironically embarrassed. <laughs> yes. And even if you go back to uh, Esther 3 when he makes the edict, Mordecai never mentions the name of the people. Like he never tells them, I want to kill the Jews. Oh, Haman. Haman. Ha- yeah, Haman yeah. never says, I want to kill the Jews. He just says, there's oh. this people. So he was just like, yeah, sure, whatever. Do whatever you want, Haman. And like wow. he's he didn't even like... He signed his name to something he didn't know. Mm-hmm. So you're right. He's embarrassed. He's, he's embarrassed on multiple levels. Yeah. He's embarrassed. Which he, nothing would give this kind of a king more rage than embarrassment. Yeah. Losing face. Yes, exactly right. He goes out in a rage probably more over that. Yeah. And when he comes back in, he finally sees a justification that gets him out from under the That's being right. competent charge. Haman is probably begging for mercy at Esther's feet. But Maybe. ironically, it's interpreted as, as assault. Yeah, he looks. It looks like he's trying to assault her in his own chambers. Yes. Yeah. And so I that think, is the charges of for which he's he's hanged. Yeah, and that's why he's hung, not yeah. because he tried to kill Esther, right? Because that would implicate him in signing this law into the land. Yeah. But he looks like he's assaulting his wife, and so that's why he kills him right yep. there. Which is like I think I said this in the last episode, which is ironic because the king assaulted Esther first, and yet Haman dies for it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so many ironies here. Yes. It's ridiculous. Yes. Okay. So that's the story. That's the story. Um, that's the story. Yeah. So um, let's kind of do our work now to go back through and and first say, like, who should we be seeing God as? Yeah. In this story. Yeah. This there's an exilic people of, of God reading this book. Yeah. And what are we to see? I mean, I think, I think one, we're to see that God provides a deliverer for his people. Yeah. When it looks like no God exists, there's always a deliverer for his mm-hmm. people. Um, someone will come. Yep. There will be a deliverer who will rise from another place. There will always be a deliverer yep. for God's people. That's right. In uh, the empire, yeah. there will always be a deliverer. Yep. And like that's something they're used to, a, a deliverer, an intercessor, someone to go before the king. This is a role that Israel is used to seeing occupied, mm-hmm. right? I mean, this was this was yep. Moses. Yeah, you know, this was Aaron. Yeah, this has been the Levitical priesthood. It's this is David. This is David. Like, yeah, so like yep. we haven't even gone through the historical books where like 
all this happens, but there's been king after king after king who's supposed to represent God's mm-hmm. people and provide security and power for them, uh, security and like protection for them. Yeah. Um, they're used to this category of person. So the queen is acting in those same veins. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, there's also this this idea too of of what Mordecai said about like who knows, you know, you know, if you've been brought to this place for such time as this. Yeah. Where it's just like that is, I feel like that this whole di- this whole little piece of dialogue from Mordecai is proof that the that that God wasn't left out of this book spitefully but carefully. Yeah. That it was like. That is the most well-worded sentence to leave God out of. Yeah. It's like, who knows if you have been... It's like, God could have put you here. You know, like, would have right. been a way easier way to say maybe it. Maybe God has us here for a moment yeah, like this. Yeah, maybe God has us here for... No, it's the, but it's not what he said. Yeah. And I think it's because to an exilic people, that's the question they ask all the time. Who knows? Who knows right. if? Yeah. But maybe for such a time as this. Like, yeah, yeah. And it's like, I think we often co-opt this phrase to be like... To, to be kind of like, th- man, this is the this is the purpose for my life. For such a time as this, yeah. I've been brought to this place, and I don't think that's wrong to do. I really right. don't. But I think in this in this exilic context, it's like that is a question that the people of God ask. They they are under the threat of death constantly. They yeah. are they are cut off from God, and they're asking the question, "Who knows?" And and he turns right. that question around, and says, "Yeah, who knows if." this isn't God's time to shine. Right. Like if this isn't God's plan. And I think that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, even like the move to, when I moved up to Kansas city, it Mm -hmm. was like, is this what God is calling us to? Is this God doing this? Is this my desires? And I feel like we're always confronted with things. We don't know who knows knows what's happening right now. And, uh, the answer the book of Esther gives us, it's always involves God. It always involves God. It always involves not just God, mm. it involves the rescuer. Yes, the deliverer. There is a, del- there, there is, you are going to be delivered from something always. Yes. Even if you don't know what it is. Right. Yet. And even if you took the wrong path, yeah. God's still going to rise up a deliverer. Yes. Like, there what is good news. Yeah, that is good news because, mm. like, it goes back to what Paul says in Romans 8 um, when he says, um, why can't I remember a really famous passage of scripture where it talks about good coming from bad things? Good <laughs> coming from bad things. He says, uh, all things. Oh, Romans eight twenty eight. Yes. Why can't I remember this right now? <laughs> all but things work to the good of, of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Thank you, David. You're very welcome. My mind is gone. <laughs> My mind is gone. All those who are called by God according to his purpose regardless of where you are, mm-hmm. you have been called there by God. And regardless if it looks like God's not present, mm. he's rescuing you and working good for his people in the middle of the empire. Yes. And far from just a blatant resignation to that fact of, well, I guess I'll just go sit in the harem until death comes. Yeah. It's that fact should cause us to step out in even more radical faith. Yes. Because God is here. And if I if it kills me, it's fine. If I perish, right. when I perish, I perish. I'm yeah. going to die anyway. Let's go for it. You know, because yeah. it's like God's in control and he can move the heart of the king. Yeah. Like she, I think in that moment, Esther, hopefully in her heart, knew who actually was whispering in the ear of Xerxes. It wasn't only Haman. Yeah. You know, God was the one behind the, there's a power behind the power. Mm-hmm. There's a power behind the empire, the evil empire behind yep. the empire. But there's a power even behind that. Yes, that's in there's control. Deeper magic before yeah, the dawn deeper, of time. There is a deeper magic. Um, yes. And this goes back to like 
the idea of coincidence. Mm-hmm. So we've talked, we kind of mentioned it a while ago where um, there's nothing in the story that's outside of God's control. And that's evidenced by the fact that there's just so many coincidences in the book of this book that you're kind of forced to conclude they can't just be coincidences. Right. We don't just happen to be where we are. So it's like, it just so happens that a Jew is favored above of all other women in the harem. Right. Like why her? Yeah. Specifically why a, a Jew, one of the promised people of God, and it just so happens that her one night with the king is enough to make her queen. Right. It just so happens that Mordecai is sitting by the gate and he overhears a conspiracy. It just so happens that the king accepts Esther into the courtroom. It just so happens the king can't sleep one night. It just so happens his reader pulls off the annals of the defeats of Mordecai and, and just so yeah. happens to open up the page where Mordecai is doing something. Yeah. And it just so happens that Mordecai or Haman walks into that one moment. And, <laughs> and it just so this, happens that he says this one thing. Yes. <laughs> All these coincidences should lead people in the empire, citizens of the empire, Mm. to recognize that God is always working good for his people, even when you can't see it. Yeah, absolutely. That's really good. That's really good. So here's a question. Yeah, let's go. What's the question? What does this tell us about how... You mentioned it, I think, a couple episodes back about being in the world, but not of it. Mm. So Esther we've and Mordecai, both of these kind of morally compromised characters. They yeah. seem like citizens of the empire, but they also are the redemptive figures of right. the story. They're, 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 they're what point us to Jesus. Yeah. The point of the book of Esther isn't to mean, be more like Esther or be more like Mordecai. It's right. to, to be confident in the God who not just controls the kings, mm-hmm. but the empire behind the kings. Like yes. he's working all things to destroy the ancient conspiracy against God's people. Mm, yeah. He's doing that. Yes. That's the main point. I would agree. Yeah. But at the same time, if we are like Esther, mm. if we are like Mordecai, like renamed under the shadow of like the Colossus called America yeah. or China or wherever, wherever, we find ourselves. wherever we find ourselves, like what does it mean for us to be faithful exiles mm. or morally compromised exiles? Like, yeah. What, yeah. Well, I mean, I think like in Mordecai, we can see someone who did not allow the overshadowing affluence or oppression of the empire to squelch his faith in the promises of God. Yeah. That he knew that even though the most powerful king who's been around sits on that throne, and he knew that the most deadly edict that has ever been signed is now circulating the empire. And and like even though he knew that this Holocaust was about to take place of his people. He still said, God will raise up a deliverer, even if you're not the one, Esther. Yeah. That is insane faith. I think if I was him and I had the faith to ask Esther to do that, I would have been like, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're our only hope. Like, you're the only one who can do this. Only you. If you don't do it, no one will. I wouldn't have the faith to say, even though you are the queen and you could actually stop this whole thing, even if you don't do it, God will fix it. I don't like, I'm just like, that is some faith. Faith in exile is, yeah. that is an intense thing that I, I want to pattern. Like yeah. I would love to have that faith that Mordecai had. Yeah. I'm also thinking about like even Esther's resignation. Like I think the choices in front of us can seem impossible. Like there's all sorts of situations in our life where we lose, are, lose, that are lose, lose. Yeah. You just can't choose a good thing or it's between two really great things or it means saying goodbye or mm. farewell to one really important thing. 
resignation is not a lack of faith. Mm. Being willing to say like, man, whatever happens, happens, happens. but I do trust that God will save us. Yeah. Like I know he, the arc of history is towards God saving his people and being good to his people. So I'll trust that. Yeah. Even though it kind of feels like lose lose. Yeah. That's good. So like they're like I think like for a lot of people in the middle of impossible situations, like no, like resignation is not a lack of faith. Like mm-hmm. we kind of portrayed it that way when we walk through the story. Definitely, yeah. But like it's not not faith. Yeah. It's not not trust. Yeah, like I said, that resignation was somehow a holy resignation because yeah. it gave her the bravery she needed to put her life on the line. Yeah. She could have enjoyed the comforts of the harem for a little bit longer. Yeah. Which is what a lot of us do in, in exile. Yeah. Like in the in the empire, a lot of us don't go, well, you know, I could speak out or yeah. share the share the gospel with my neighbor or or I could maintain the status quo just a little bit longer, yeah. even though I know the result is going to be the same. Yeah. I'm going to be dead yeah. and it's all going to be over. Yeah. And it's like that, but a holy resignation leads us to take radical steps of faith. Yeah. It takes God at his word that he has good yeah. intentions for us. Okay. I'm going to stomp, stomp on the brakes okay. because we broke our own rule a little bit here. Oh, no. That we, like, not really a spoken gospel rule, but I know when you and I preach, yeah. we always want to talk about Jesus before we talk about ourselves. Okay. Yeah. And we haven't done that yet. Okay. And so um, I want, uh, because ultimately Esther isn't about us. Like the, the person of Esther right. is not primarily an example for us. Yes. She is a, another prism, another color, another shade through which we get to see what Jesus has perfectly done for us. Yes. Because Jesus, like Esther, went into the king's inner court. Yeah. He went into the Holy of Holies where if he, he's allowed to enter. Yeah. But if he was wearing our sin, yeah. if all our, our dressings of sin were on him and he went into that inner court, he would die. Yeah. But he would die for us. He would bear our sins. Mm-hmm. And like that is what he did. He went into the Holy of Holies where the curtain was torn on the cross. He, he did that for us. And he yeah. went before the king when we couldn't. And he laid his life down on the line. Yeah. But God did not extend the golden scepter to him to save his yeah. life. He laid his life down for us so that we wouldn't be Haman on the other side. Right. You know, like right, so right, that we right. could actually be forgiven. And like I just, it, I, I love that picture of Esther being this intercessor. Yeah. who goes into the Holy of Holies and stands before the king at the cost of her life. She represents um, the lives of everyone who's trusting in her. Mm-hmm. Like We That's don't right. really know how many... Like, it seems like very few people knew that she was Jewish. Right. And She hit it. And she hit it. Yeah. But hypothetically, mm. all those people in exile reading the story of Esther while they're in es- exile are looking for someone like Esther to represent their lives in an empire of death. Mm-hmm. She bore all the potential death of yes. her people on her shoulders when she entered into that Holy of Holies place. Yes. If she went in there and died... The people would have died with her. The people would have died with her. And this is why... So I'm trying to think through, like, Xerxes is not the god of the Bible. No. He's being portrayed as a god of the Bible... But like a broken, wicked version. A broken, version. wicked version. This is what happens when we replace the God of the Bible. A And the wicked, fascinatingly, the wicked the wicked king keeps Esther alive. Mm-hmm. But the good king kills the yep. one who comes into the throne room. Because the one who comes into the throne room is himself. 
Oh. <laughs> That's why. Yeah. That's why it's still good news. That's why he's still a good king. Yeah. Because good King Xerxes or bad King Xerxes would have done anything to save face, to make sure he came out smelling like roses, and to maintain his own power and authority. Yeah. God, the true king, lays all of that down. He enters into the throne room knowing full well it will cost him his life. And his when I perish, I perish is fixed in time. Yeah. It's an hour set when he goes to the cross. Yeah. Like that. That is what's yeah. happening. Like, and when he comes as Haman, mm-hmm. like carrying like the expectations of life, like the hope of life for all the people, and he dies, it guarantees the life of everybody else. Yes. Like Esther in that moment isn't just representing the lives of all the other people. She's coming bearing the edict against God's people, right? Like, because yeah. like she's saying, you're, you have, there is this edict in the land that mm-hmm. all my, God, God's people will be killed. Yeah, there's death decreed over all my people. And this edict needs to die. Yes. And so that's Haman. Haman represents that. Haman died. He dies. That's right. And we talked about this in the ironic reversal one. Jesus, in an ironic twist, actually becomes Haman. Yes. He represents the edict that was supposed to kill all of God's people, and he dies so that that edict dies with him. That's right. So the, all, edict, the, the edict that was signed against us that says death is what's coming for you. Yes. Jesus died to overturn. Yes. That's right. Yeah. And I just want to say it again, just in case in a tizzy, you guys missed it last episode. The word that is probably in your Bible is gallows. Yeah. For this thing. It is the same word tree. Right. Like, and that is what, like... In Deuteronomy 21, it says, cursed is anyone who's hanging on a tree. Yeah. Both the word hanged and tree are the same here in, in, the, in the Esther story and in Deuteronomy. Yeah. And then the Bible quotes that in the New Testament to talk about what happened to Jesus. Yeah. He is the hanged one on the tree. Like, literally, like, he, bef- like without really going far out of its way, the New Testament says yeah. Jesus is Haman. Like, yeah. in, a, in a horrific way, because he's the Satan figure. Right. It's so weird. It's Haman. so ironic. The Haman and the edict of death over all of God's people is hanged on the cross. Yeah. And ironically, the edict itself is cursed. Mm-hmm. And when two neg- like two negatives make, make a positive. positive. Like, so the edict is cursed. Yep. So that means life for all God's people. That's Jesus right. becomes a curse for us. He becomes sin for us as he's hanging on the cross and brings life to all people mm. as he... That's re- so I kind of wanted to try to save the next the new edict for the next yeah. episode, but I can't after okay. you said that because this is imputed righteousness is a really difficult concept okay. to get our heads around. But define it, I will. But, yeah, but like it's such a beautiful picture of these two edicts. So there, so imputed righteousness is the idea that basically I took all my sin and I put it on Jesus. That's not imputed righteousness. That's atonement, right? I, okay. Jesus atoned for my sin. He, I, my sins deserve death. I put them on Jesus, and in his body, they died. Yeah. But then... I made at one. I made at peace. I made clear. That's right. But then Jesus has all of this righteousness and goodness and perfection that allows him to enter into the throne room of God. Yeah. Like Everything good about him, like we took off our sin and puts, put on him, he takes off his goodness and puts on us. Yeah. He gives us his life and his goodness, his righteousness, his perfect standing before God is now our own. That right. is what's happening in these edicts. So you have this edict that says, death is coming for you. But when that edict died, a new right. one was written. And it says, now life is coming to you. Yes. And death to your enemies. Yeah. Like freedom. Exactly this right. is freedom. Is what he yeah. said. I'm killing your enemies mm. and giving you life instead of letting your enemies take your life. I don't know why nobody's used that example for imputed, imputed righteousness. righteousness. It's, pu- it's really beautiful. It's like the the curse is gone. Yep. 
the de- the sentence of death is gone and there's new life for you yeah. and the destruction of all your enemies. Or yeah. another another perfect example of imputed righteousness in this story is where did uh, Haman end up and where did Mordecai end up? Haman mm. ended up uh, impaled on the tree. Right. Uh, Mordecai ended up riding around on the king's horse yeah. with the king's robe and now sits at the king's right hand. In the same position that Haman In the same position to. that Haman. That's where we get to go. Yeah. We're now get we get to go to the right hand of God. Like we and yeah. we get his clothes. God yeah. wraps us up in his clothes mm-hmm. and like the put- empire <laughs> used to be run by the king. Yeah. And his vizier, right, his right. consigliere, his demonic yeah. consigliere. Now because of Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus sits on the throne right. and we sit with him. We are his advisors. We sit in council with him yes. over the demonic evil empire of the world. Yeah. I mean, Ephesians 2. That's yeah, that's imputed righteousness. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Oh, so neat. I yeah. love this book. It's a really awesome book. Oh, okay. Well, we'll wrap up next week with the um, the final edict that goes out. We kind of talked about. We'll wrap up with the, the feasts, yeah. the idea of Purim, and all these things. Yeah? Goodbye. All right. That's yeah. enough from me. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you guys for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit that gives all its resources like this podcast away for free because of supporters like you. To help Spoken Gospel in our mission to speak the gospel out of every corner of scripture and view all our free resources, visit SpokenGospel.com.